In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. Quite a few years ago now, I had a conversation with a parishioner, a sort of continuing over many seasons long conversation with a parishioner about prayer. And he was suffering, is the easy way to say it. He was suffering in his prayer life. What once felt like an easy connection to God now felt distant and difficult. Where once he felt like he could sort of plug in to the peace and rest of God, now he felt like no matter what he did, he couldn't find God anywhere. So a, a man of relative means, he was fortunate, he went on a pretty big trip. He traveled all over the world. He visited some cities that were important to our faith, places like Bethlehem and Jerusalem. He visited some cities that were really important to other people's faith, and he explored the ways in which lots of other people connect to the God that they believe in, to different means of faith and different traditions. And he listened for God in the midst of all of these other voices and other traditions. And I will never forget him coming back and sitting in my office and looking me dead in the eye and saying, I saw beautiful things. I saw the beauty of the earth and the wonder of God's creation, the diversity of prayer and faith, all the beautiful things that God has made, but I still can't find God anywhere. It's like God has completely unplugged from me, and I keep trying and trying and trying, but it feels like we lost the magic. So what is the point? Is he even listening? In the gospel today, we have perhaps one of the most iconic and well-known pieces of scripture. It's the basis for what we call the Lord's Prayer. Those words should sound very familiar to you. Interesting, perhaps, about what's actually in the text and what's not. I encourage you to make that comparison. But hopefully these words are words that you say often, not just once a week when we say them together before the Eucharist, but a piece of your own core prayer life. It's one of those great prayers that is suitable in literally every moment from grace before dinner to the moment of fear, to the moment of sadness, to the last thing you say before you say goodbye to somebody. It literally can fill just about every gap there is. And the truth is that if Jesus is going to take the time to teach us to pray, we should hear him out, right? We should take him seriously. A few years ago, there's one or two of you that, that have reminded me that a few years ago, when I preached this text with you, we did a close analysis of the words. And we looked at the way the words actually require a lot of us and are fairly uncomfortable. What we are praying for is a very different world than we currently inhabit. And the Lord's Prayer, as we say it together, requires us to give up a lot, to ask that God's will be done, right? That God's kingdom will come. That right there is a certain level of giving over our control and our life in order to submit to what God is trying to do and to what God is trying to build. So I'm not going to do that today, but I do want to point at that because it's still really important. Today, though, I want us to look together at the nature of prayer, which is why I started with this story from uh, an old friend and former parishioner of mine who was struggling. 
prayer is sometimes, I think, something that is shrouded in mystery. And I just said something like that to you a few weeks ago about forgiveness when I was talking about our summer read, that often we talk about forgiveness as a thing that we should do, that we know is good for us, but the actual concrete process of doing it feels complicated, mysterious. We're not actually sure how it comes together. And I think often prayer is the same thing. We sort of talk about prayer as Christians like we all agree on what it is, and we all know what it is, and we all know how to do it. And some of that, I think, is because as Anglicans, we don't necessarily want to tell you how to pray. We can give you tools and avenues and paths. Um, but I, th I think often we sort of talk about prayer like we, we know it's good for us, right? We know that science, for example, has proved that prayer is good for your health. It's good for your blood pressure. It helps you feel settled and grounded and calm and connected. But the concrete way that it works and how we think it actually moves, I think that conversation is a little more rare. Because maybe it's because we want to honor the fact that prayer really can be anything. Anytime you turn your heart and your attention to God, anytime you sort of quiet your soul and try to listen. You could be anywhere. I mean, you could be walking or running. You could be serving somewhere. You could be in a soup kitchen. You could have been at the street fair with us yesterday. Prayer can literally happen wherever you are, no matter what it is that you're doing, no matter what it is that you're thinking, as long as you can sort of take that step back. Sometimes for me, I think my most fervent prayers are the last things that I remember calling to mind and sort of calling into the presence of God before I fall asleep at night. That last sort of stream of consciousness is sometimes where the most interesting things happen in my prayer life. Since we're having a moment in this place with Desmond Tutu, I'll tell you that he's quoted often as saying that prayer is a continuous conversation with God, meaning that from the minute you get up in the morning to the minute you go to sleep at night, you could be in constant conversation with God. Now, that might sound terrifying to you, but it's actually a very good thing. It's not just the five minutes that we spend before church in the quiet, right? Or the two minutes after you come back to your pew after communion. But that it actually is the embodiment of your relationship with God. And it doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out thing or the perfect words we pull from the prayer book, right? It can just be a, a thought, a quick back and forth, something that you offer briefly. Desmond Tutu will often talk about the fact that our relationship with God should be like our relationship with anybody else, right? And if there's no communication, how quickly do our relationships fall apart? Anybody who's married will tell you that you can get yourself into an awful lot of trouble by not communicating for a long time. It doesn't work super well. And that's true of every other relationship. If there's no communication, eventually you find out there's no real relationship. But the question is, what do you do when it gets hard? Or what do you do when you feel like you're working hard, but you're not finding that connection? Now, ironically, in a roundabout sort of way, that very difficult reading that Caroline had to read has something to say to us about this. And, and I want to say briefly a little bit of context about Hosea, because it's a difficult book. Um, and I think when scripture comes up that's difficult, we sometimes really have to 
contend with it. And the whole book is sort of like this passage. So Caroline kind of took one for the team this morning. It's a, it's a hard chunk of scripture. And at its core is the message that I think you could hear pretty clearly this morning, that God's people have fallen away from the covenant that they have made with God. They have forgotten to live by the law. We don't know exactly how, right? But it says that the land has forsaken God, meaning that maybe the people are worshiping false gods. Maybe they're doing the wrong things. They're not paying attention. They're not keeping the law. But essentially, what we get is that God has had it. And God is done. And what we hear in this short passage is that God seems to be prepared to sever ties. I mean, whatever it is that's happening, God is done. There's just, there's no better way to say that. And it seems like the text wants to lead us to believe that this could, in fact, be the end of the covenant. There's not a lot of hope in this text. Frankly, there's not a lot of hope in the book as a whole. It seems like God intends to break away and leave Israel alone. And unlike some of the other books in the Bible and the other messages from the prophets, where there's usually this very strong stream of, you know, if you come back, it'll be okay. If you can do X, Y, and Z, I will free you again. There's usually this back and forth conversation with God that is not present in a Hosea at all. There's tiny little glimpses of hope in the reading that we just heard and tiny little glimpses of hope in the book as a whole. But the message that we're really intended to hear is that God is mad. <laughs> and so God is sort of done with this process with Israel. And so my question for you about that is who believes that? And you don't have to raise your hand. But do you believe that? That God is ever done? It may be what we are intended to believe that God is saying to the Hosea. But of course it's not, as we know, what God actually does. The story does go on. There are other books that come after this, other people, other prophets. And we know that God shows up for Israel again and again and again. And that God eventually shows up for us again and again and again. We know, because we have the privilege of looking back, that the covenant is never actually broken. In fact, that we know that Jesus comes to fulfill it, not just for Israel, but for all people. Because the relationship between God and God's people is not a contract. It's a covenant. It's different. God promises that no matter what we do, no matter how far away we feel, no matter how much we think we've messed up, God will always keep up God's end of the bargain. And she does. So it's a dramatic word from Hosea this morning, but helpful still to remember that even when it feels like there is nothing good and no glimmer of hope and God is done, that's never actually true. It can feel like we have been distant, either because our prayer life isn't working or because of the seasons and the tragedies and the challenges that we experience in our own life. Surely you have had moments in your life, seasons, perhaps whole stretches of them, where God feels very far away, where you don't understand what exactly it is that God is doing for the good in your life. And so the promise of this sort of continued pattern of Israel is that God is still with us. God does still love us. 
And God is still working for the good in our life, even when we can't see it, and even when our hearts are so broken, we can't hold on to that truth. And so prayer, even when we feel like we've been blocked for a long time, is one of those things we can continue to do to show God that we are also willing to continue to show up. So what's the point, he said to me? What's the point? Is God even listening? It leads you to wonder, I think, and perhaps maybe the state of the world leads you to wonder too, whether or not our prayer actually matters. Does God hear us? Do things change based on what we've asked for? Does it matter? And I think what we hear in the gospel this morning and what we hear from Jesus consistently and what we hear from scripture is, yes, always, that God always listens to the prayers of the faithful, that it matters tremendously to God when we turn to God in prayer. But it doesn't always mean that we're going to get what we want. Now, some of you have probably heard me say, maybe you feel like one too many times because it's a favorite line of mine, that God is not a vending machine. You don't just get to put your quarters in and then get back what you want, right? You can't just kind of check the boxes and say, well, I did this and this and this and this, and so obviously God is going to give me the new thing that I want or the great relation. It doesn't work that way, right? We all know that. There are Christians, by the way, who believe that it works that way. It's called the prosperity gospel. We, as Episcopalians, do not believe that God is a, a vending machine or a gumball machine, and you can just put your quarter in and pull out exactly what you want. Our relationship with God is not intended to be transactional like that. And it's tricky if we try to set our prayer life up like it, like it works that way, because it doesn't. And that can lead us down a road that is tremendously painful. Part of figuring out how to be a good prayer is learning how to trust in the truth that Scripture tells us that God is working for the good even when we can't see it. And learning, as the Lord's Prayer suggests, to submit to what God is doing as opposed to what we think God should be doing. It's sort of an offering up, right? A, a spiritual practice of figuring out how to let go enough to believe that God really is in control. And that what's going to happen, even though we may not always understand it, and it may not always be visible or sensical to us, which I know is not really a word, but I like it anyway, that actually God is doing something better than we could engineer on our own, which can be hard to understand and hard to swallow when we are in pain when something difficult has happened to us, when we've lost someone too soon, you can think of the moments in your own life when it is hard to take in that truth and it's hard to swallow. And yet, there is this practiced conversation, this practiced intimate connection that we can have with God if we choose to have it. Our gospel today promises us that if we, and they're action verbs, if we ask seek and knock. If we go looking for God, in other words, if we go looking for meaning and nourishment, the gospel promises us we will find it. It may not come in the way we'd expect, or the, the package, or even the moment that we'd expect. It may not be exactly what we thought we wanted, but God promises, and Jesus promises in the gospel today, that if we keep looking for God, 
if we are persistent, we will eventually find peace. And we know that in some ways because of the almost scary but helpful assurances at the end of the gospel today. The promise that God loves us even more than a parent cherishes and loves a child. And God wants to give us the good things even more than, than we can imagine give, giving good things to our own children. So, I'm going to take a step back and you might be wondering what happened to my former parishioner who was struggling in the midst of this season of what I would call dryness and sort of the not being able to hear the responses, not being able to take in what was coming back. And the answer is that it took a while, a long time. And he was angry and frustrated, and I might even say bitter about it, because he felt like something special had been taken away from him. Like he had this connection with God, and then all of a sudden it was gone, and no matter what he did, he couldn't seem to reignite it. But God bless him, he kept waiting, and he kept showing up, both to church and in his own prayer life. He kept knocking on the door. He kept searching after that connection that he knew was possible, but he couldn't find. And one day in the midst of worship, he came up to the rail to receive communion, and he had tears just streaming down his face. They just wouldn't stop. And it was because, for whatever reason, his ears had been unplugged, his heart had been softened, and he was able again to find that deep connection, to feel the rush of the Spirit, and to f be filled with that hope and that humility that we can only get from God. So I would ask you to consider this week how your prayer life is or is not a regular part of your life, a regular part of your routine? What does your regular conversation with God look like? Do you pray for yourself and others? Do you offer yourself and your life up to the will of God? If you don't already in a regular way, the Lord's Prayer is a really easy, really good way to start. And notice how near God feels or doesn't feel in your prayer. Know that you're not alone in this. You have a whole community around you and a priest who's very happy to talk to you about it. But more than that, do you trust that God is always with you? That God is always looking for the good, even when it feels like God is distant and far away, even when you feel like you can't connect? Do you trust that ultimately that pattern of God catching you and saving you will happen again. Can you place your whole, tr your whole trust in that truth, even when it's hard to imagine? Are you willing to give yourself over to this kind of relationship with God where God really is in control? Amen.